If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let us explain. First of all, Tim, it's free. We love free. Ah, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Did I mention that it's free? I did, didn't I? You did. Well, it's not only free. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much every other one. Many, many more. And you can make money from your podcast. That cheddar. Cha-ching. With no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to get started. We love Anchor. Welcome back to Beyond Strange World. I'm Tim here today with Lance. How's it going, Lance? Oh, it's going so well. It feels so good, Tim. First of all, how are you? Ah, so good. Couldn't be better. Literally. Literally couldn't Literally. be better. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it feel good to be uh, riding the Beyond Strange World horse yet again? We've we've mounted the horse again and we're riding it to the sunset. <laughs> I love it. I really do. It's a lot of fun and we love talking to our friend and uh, co, I guess you call him co he's been on every single episode too. Well, it's uh, his show. It's his show. Yeah. Christopher Garitano, the man, the myth, the legend. How's it going, Chris? It's going really good. I'm about to travel to my place of origin, New York City and uh I just heard that the coronavirus is there. It has arrived and it brings up memories of reading Stephen King's The Stand and a virus called Captain, Captain Trips. Trips. I was, uh, yep. Can't help but to think of that. And I'm not a pessimist, but I'm definitely uh, about to enter the, uh, the danger zone. But it's worth it because I'm going there to discuss with a... Uh, a an interesting group of people, my new television series, which is the uh, the succession of, uh, of Strange World kind of evolving into something even more exciting, in my opinion. Oh, this is this is fantastic news to hear that you were working on a project that you um, another project sort of stemming from Strange World, something that you are passionate about as well. Exciting to hear uh, if you could tell us a little bit as much as you can. Uh, about that and i'm assuming you're meeting with some sort of um television executives when you say an interesting group of people and not you're not you're not going to see that like like mother abigail right you know i wanted to go underground to meet with the society that lives in the tunnels underneath new york city that was the original exactly. idea and i wanted to tell them and see what they thought of it because they don't have tv and um, all they have probably down there are little tiny fires keeping them warm. So I think the, the, the purity of story is, is the basis of this new show. And that was also Strange World. Like, that's why Strange World had a poetry to it. And I just want to say before we go further, mark my words, I will return and make Strange World Season 2. And it's going to be incredible. But I have to do this first. And so it's going back to my origins and it's going back to the things that 
helped forge my imagination as a kid and all of us see this is the thing. it's not just me it's all of us you know we we had that time in our lives that was magical and mystical and i want to bring that into a television show i know i'm being slightly vague but i don't want to give it away just yet a hundred percent i'll give little clues throughout our discussion today yeah sounds good well i think uh, i think it's always interesting uh you know looking at origins and kind of going back and and that that you know nostalgic feeling um, so let, let's talk about origins today. We, uh, we shot some emails back and forth and we, um, came up with a couple of topics and you, you kind of said like, like, uh, in not so many words, like, yeah, let's talk about those, but let's talk about where they came from and why we're talking about them at all. Um, so those two ideas were, the Black Eyed Kids, which is one of my personal favorites. I've never talked about it on microphone, I don't think, but um, certainly listened to a lot of Coast to Coast episodes um, about Black Eyed Children, and it was always one of my favorite topics. Yeah, and it's a terrifying thing to be vulnerable and caught off guard, and it's a story like that that assumes that it might happen to you. And that's why it's terrifying. It happens to the black eyed children uh, is a story about a bunch of different random people. And I think originating in Texas, that's where the first report was that simply were at home. There was one gentleman. I, th- I believe the first gentleman was at home by himself fixing dinner for himself. And he's in his kitchen and doing his normal routine. This is normal. The sun has gone down and it might be fall outside and the weather's cool and you're in indoors and it's warm inside and you're just doing your normal routine. And then there's a knock on the door. And it's not like every night at this time you're going to have a knock on the door. So that's odd. That throws you off. You're in your routine and there's a knock on the door and it's nighttime. And you're wondering, okay, what's this? And so the guy goes to the door, he opens the door, and there is at least one child looking very odd, as he described, pale skin and dark, pitch black eyes. And on some occasions, the kids had said, well, I'd like to come in for dinner. Uh, Other occasions, they just sat and stared at the person who opens the door and there's just something really off about it. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, okay, this could be kids playing a prank. And I'm sure since the story has circulated, there are kids doing this on purpose now. But when you go and you speak to people who actually experienced it, nothing can be Uh, the honesty that comes from somebody who truly, really went through something. And I've talked to people like this face-to-face over the years, and I could tell distinctly the difference between... (laughs) Sorry, that's the fireplace sound effect. It's a little distracting. Sorry, continue. I I was like, what is is happening? I took my headset off. (laughs) The wires. I know, I love it. I love the burning campfire. So I can tell the difference between... Uh, you know, if there's a cadence to a liar, you know, there's a re usually I can hear it. I can hear it in the, in the sound of their voice, you know, and if you're looking someone in their eyes and they really believe they experienced something, there's much, 
there's a much difference. There's a huge difference between that and somebody who's putting on a show for you. And you can only decipher after, you know, years of speaking to people who are lying to your face. I mean, look, I talked to people who claimed they were at the crucifixion of Christ. All right. And literally looking me in the eyes and telling me this. And I knew damn well, this guy is lying. Okay. A hundred percent. I mean, we would automatically assume he's lying, but he was just lying through his teeth. Then I hear an equally elaborate story from someone else. Uh, and you could just tell they really experienced something. Now, whether it was real or not, I don't know, but they did experience something. Or maybe they believed enough that they experienced something that they, you know, they convinced themselves that they were telling the truth. Correct. And so that, you know, that seems to be a trait of a lot of the guys or people who originated the Black Eyed Children stories. And that is why we have books written about it. And that's why, you know, equally we have books written about certain alien abductions because, yeah, there are a lot of people telling these stories, but it's the ones that were convincing and the ones that really seem to have this innate, you know, honesty about the situation they described. You know, I have, I have my own experiences. I could tell you 100% they happened. I don't know what they were, but uh, they happened. Wait, you you saw uh, black eyed children? No, but I heard, and I think I told this story once before here on on Beyond Strange World. Is that I I was fourteen years old and I heard oh uh, this whispering in the middle of the night. That's Two right. Nights, yeah, and um, that was a real thing. It didn't wasn't coming from a radio. It wasn't coming from a television. Nobody in the house was doing it. It was just it it felt like it was out of place. It, and, you know, I wasn't I wasn't doing any drugs. I wasn't you know, it it just happened. It really happened. And um, I can tell you every detail of that night over and over and over again. And why would I make a story like this up? I would never you know, like I don't have a, a ton of stories that, uh, you know, I need to I need I don't need that attention, in other words. And I think some people do or some people are trying to cash in on it. But I've never I never will try to cash in on that story. It's just something that really, truly happened. And it was something not normal. Okay, getting back to the black-eyed children, I, I I haven't really looked into it. I, Tim is obsessed with the black-eyed children. I <laughs> swear to God, he I, he's got like a sign outside of his house, like like Fox Mulder would put up the X in his window when he needed to talk to to Mister X. But you know what I think it is. To to be honest, if I can interject real quick, oh, please. I, I had this uh, time in my life. I want to say it was like twenty two thousand nine, two thousand ten, where. I had like a faulty doorbell. Um, I remember and, this. Uh, and they, yeah, yeah, and it happened for maybe like a year or something like that. The doorbell would just randomly go off. So yeah, this is kind of something like when I was uh, a single guy, like thought about a lot, you know. And then actually had real door doorbells, but there was there was no one there uh, ever. No one that you saw. No one from from. No one that would allow you to see them. Perhaps <laughs> that's accurate. Yes. Yes. Uh, so are the are the black eyed children related to the Mothman? Refresh my memory on this. There's some connection here, right? Well, I don't know. I, the Mothman happened in uh, West Virginia, and the black eyed children originated in um, in Texas, as far as I know. Yeah. And you know, the Mothman essentially was some kind of omen. You know, uh, before some. I know there was a disaster on a bridge out there that occurred yep. and 
there was also a connection to a character named Indrid Cold, who apparently was alien of origin. Again, these are all stories, you know, like we, we have some witnesses and some people that claim they experience these things. But, you know, I think the greatest witnesses to these type of stories like the Black Eyed Children or the Mothman or anything like that are people with something to lose. In other words, they're not writing a book about it. They live normal lives. They don't come up with stories like this all the time. And they're not really looking for a stipend for, you know, for, for telling this tale. They're just telling you something happened. I've heard a bunch of those over the years. I'm sure you have too. And uh, there's something about that particular configuration in a person when they're telling a story like this that that uh, opens the door for trust and then makes it even scarier. And so, you know, we don't have all the facts, so I don't. It's hard to 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 bridge the connections between these different stories. I I don't have much of a connection. I think what um I think the Men in Black were sort of connected to um the Mothman uh the Mothman issue or prophecies, whatever you want to call that. Um, and then, yeah, it was the silver bridge collapse down in uh, point pleasant, West Virginia. And, uh, so that, that was like a real tragedy that happened and people were, had been saying that they were seeing this, uh, winged creature flying around, I guess some kind of cryptid. And, uh, and then I believe that fellow Indrid cold, um, popped by point pleasant and was kind of talking to people and came came across really weird and had this grin that was too big to smile. Like if you can kind of picture like the Joker, like this grin even too big um, for his face. And uh, and then I think after that and after the bridge had collapsed, were there these men in black um, appearances where um, I, I maybe can find them at times, uh, Lance. Um, with the black eyed children because they are two of my favorite um, thing things about paranormal lore I guess you love uh you love Indrid cold <laughs> Indrid cold is is a heck of a character really is yeah and the whole mothman thing I I yeah I can't get enough of it well okay so with the with the black eyed children do these people like what do they do do these people let them in their homes do they let these kids in? So it seems like from what the the stories that I've heard on Coast to Coast, it's like they want to come in and uh, the people seem to know that they have this choice and it almost like they have this feeling of dread and uh, they will shut the door. Basically, they will say they will just, you know, and it's illogical to do that. Right. Two kids at night come to your door saying saying they need help. Um but they just, you know, they obviously have black eyes, like their eyes are completely black. Their eyeballs are like black marbles. So that would be one indicator. But they seem to almost have like hypnotic um, quality about them. And I want to say that there's almost more of like a vampire connection because it's kind of that thing where, oh, a vampire can't come in unless they're invited. And um, obviously, I, I believe that would have been made up, too. Um, because Dracula was was a, a a book, you know, a novel, um, and but but the weird thing about the the whole phenomenon of black eyed children is that I, I don't think there's ever been a story of someone saying that they had let them in. So either it's never happened, or no one's lived to tell about it. Right, and I and I and I believe the latter. No one's lived to tell about it. I'm sure somebody let a black eyed child into their house. Well, I have a couple of black-eyed kids in in my place right now. 
<laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's the great prank at the moment because kids are going to hear this podcast and they're like, let's do it. Oh, those crazy kids. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would. I, I wish this was around when I was in high school because I would I would do this. I, I, I would throw in black contact lenses and I would go door to door. But I lived in a really small town. So they'd just be like, Lance, what the hell's up with your eyes? Oh, my God. <laughs> Halloween 2020. You, myself, and Lance will wear, we will be black-eyed children and go door-to-door and ask to come inside for dinner. And we will film it and put it on for the audience. And we'll dress like little kids. Yeah. This is brilliant. <laughs> do, do you guys want to hear, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a confessional story. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in the spirit of, uh, I wouldn't have said it, this story uh, unless without you talking about the spirit of the of storytelling Christopher and everything that we've grown up with and and how it's influenced us at one point i feel like i need to tell it because we're talking about uh impersonating black eyed children and and creeping people out and i don't even know if i told tim this story um at one point in my life and if if anyone's listening who knows uh the location that i'm going to speak of they'll go oh my god that was you <laughs> highly doubtful that these people are listening. I worked for a restaurant in New Hampshire and I was uh I was a bartender and a server and I was I think I was about 18 years old, 18 or 19 years old and I had gone uh for Halloween I went as Michael Myers. And this was back a while ago. This was before, you know, I really had to search to find a Michael Myers mask and and get like the uh the coveralls and everything. So one one Halloween I I got the costume uh, early, it was like probably September when I find when I when I locked the costume in, and myself and a couple of other friends went to this restaurant that uh, I worked at, and another one of my buddies worked there, and we there was so there's a, a bar that overlooks a little pond, and then there's a little tiny bridge that goes to this back parking lot. So we parked on the side of the street by this back parking lot, and I put on the Michael Myers costume, and I walked up to the bridge, and I crossed the little tiny bridge, and I was sort of in the light, and in the bar, windows all around the building, uh, I was waiting for just someone to look. Yeah. And I was standing there, (laughs) dressed as Michael Myers, looking into the building, and I can't tell you the exhilaration when you see someone look out, do a double take. And then they they look at their friend and they point. And they're like, "What is that?" And you can read their lips, like, "What is going on?" And then I see I see someone else uh, tell the bartender, and then I see and now I'm getting nervous. Like my my heart's racing, and I'm like, "Okay, I gotta, I have to, uh, I have to play this right." I see the I see one of the owners, I see this guy come up to the window and he's looking at me, and I'm I'm probably thirty feet from the from the building. And I'm probably another, like, 50 feet from the car that's waiting for me. So I see him, like, turn so quickly and head towards the door. Now, the door was on the other side of the building, so he had to walk around. So when he turned, I'm like, okay, he's coming out here. But I couldn't break the Michael Myers character, so I had to turn slow and walk really slowly (laughs) back to the car, which no one could see because it was tucked away. But I knew he was, like, running. I knew he was I knew he was running and I'm like I need to get to this car. <laughs> so but I made it. I made it to the car. We we took off uh as we like turned the corner, I saw him come around the um 
I saw him come around. Uh, it was like a, it was like, like a porch. I saw him come around and and he wasn't running. And I realized he wasn't running because I think at some point he was like, "Oh my god, I'm going after someone dressed as Michael Myers." Like I think it, I think it occurred to him like I should probably like approach with with caution. <laughs> uh, I successfully did that two more times. Nobody knew that it was me. And to this day, unless they're listening, they'll be like, oh, that was Lance. You did it to the same person two more times? I did it to the same restaurant, yeah. (laughs) Then this wasn't on Halloween? No. (laughs) (laughs) Was it near a a movie release, a Halloween movie release? Uh, It might have been like uh, the 20th? When did that come out? H2O? Oh, yeah, that was the 90s, I think. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. 99 or something, 98, I think. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So sorry, I didn't mean to take up like two minutes or five minutes of time right there. But you know, it, ma- it makes me think because the thing is, I-, I used to do stuff like that too, and it's so dangerous. I mean, we were literally peering in people's windows in the middle of the night in deep suburbia. So it's like you think about how dangerous that is now. You know, especially out here where I live, you see people come out with a shotgun and just blow you away. It's like, but we didn't think about that back then. We didn't really think about it. Right. And. I- I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do. Is that the the Michael Myers mask is actually a William Shatner mask painted white? I do know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's actually a very popular uh, video on YouTube with uh, William Shatner uh, discussing that, and uh, and I filmed that uh, video with uh, with Shatner. Oh wow! Yeah, I used to work with him. Oh, it's great. Yeah, just on some web uh, some web stuff, but yeah, that. Uh, that that does kind of Lance, your story kind of reminds me of like the 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 clown um, phenomenon, yes. I guess that uh, that you could say that's been happening over the past few years. It kind of slowed down, maybe uh, maybe uh, had like a fever pitch. I want to say maybe two or three Halloweens ago. Sure, I think it slowed down because these clowns were getting hurt, like or they were being threatened. If people were were like chasing them with baseball bats and stuff. Yeah, well, because people are genuinely scared, you know, there's a lot of... And what the fuck are you doing just standing there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we get a thrill out of it because, you know, you watch these horror films and you don't realize the you know, what consequence can come from this. Uh, but even someone, imagine someone dressed up as Bigfoot. You have some hunter out there thinking he's going to make, you know, millions and millions of dollars. He's going to blow you away. I think that's actually happened, no? Somebody got shot in a Bigfoot costume. Oh, yeah. That sounds yeah. familiar, yeah. You know, when I was doing the Michael Myers thing, I fully accepted what repercussions were going to happen. I understood that if anyone were to catch me, there would be a beatdown. Like there was no question in my mind that there would be some uh, significant repercussions because maybe they'd find it funny later. But by the time I was on like the third, the third viewing, like I was terrorizing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was flat out illegal. <laughs> did, did anything happen the other two times? No, no, actually we stopped doing it. Um, God, we were so good at pranking each other. Our, my friends and I in high school, uh, we stopped doing it because we got pranked. So we were having a good time doing it, but uh, a, a, like two or three people or two or three friends of mine uh, decided that they were gonna they were gonna prank us, pranking the restaurant. So, so I did it the last time I did it. I get back in the car and my buddy starts to drive away, and all of a sudden these headlights come up behind us, high beam, and right on our ass. And we were like, "Oh my god, they know!" I thought it, I thought they set a trap for us. And I thought the restaurant set a trap for us. 
and right. they chased us through the side roads all the way back to uh to where we lived all the way back to the town we lived in and when and then they then they took off we didn't even see the car like they just put their brakes on and uh and i think they like took a left or a right or something and we find out a couple of days later that it was mutual friends who knew that we were going to do it they waited and then when they saw me get back in the car they decided to chase me so we were going very fast down back roads <laughs> and that's when i was like uh i really don't want to uh I don't want to get into a car accident or anything like that. It was there was a lot of adrenaline going. <laughs> the experience of these things, um, it makes you wonder how many of, you know, in terms of the origins of these stories that we hear about yeah. cryptids or um, even things like black-eyed children, how many of those things were actual elaborate pranks at, at its at its start? You know. Oh, totally. Great question. And and who would have started the the black-eyed children? prank would it have been a, a child or would it have been somebody who maybe had some childlike uh features and and someone was like hey it might be might be really funny if we drive to this small town and you just knock on someone's door we well, we were doing it we just explained you know uh, yeah. lance is just on you and and i was doing it too and uh so let's say we had access to you know scleral you know black contact lenses back then or even corneal contact lenses uh, we would have done something like this. We had the imagination for it. And we would have said, why don't we really scare the hell out of somebody and do it for real? Yeah. And I guess, so, so this actually can be tracked um, back to, uh, to this reporter in Texas named Brian Bethel. Um, and this is per uh, Wikipedia here. He um, had sort of like a newsletter um, that he sent out. And I guess he wrote about this back in 1996 and uh, and then other people started saying that they had these too, and then um, Bethel later said that uh, he believes that it was real. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. If you you know I, to have the opportunity, I spoke to a few people like that on the um, the final episode of Strange World, and you know I really I'm just looking to see if it's somebody that's trying to sell their story one way or another. Or it's somebody that, in a way, needs the therapy or the therapeutic nature of being able to tell somebody the story and get it off their chest. And I know a story like that that I, I've been focused on for a long time. Uh, and, a, and an author named uh, Linda Godfrey wrote a book about it, about a gentleman who was a security guard over at the, I think it's the St. Colette Institution. That's where Rose Kennedy was uh, institutionalized. And he was a patrolman, and it was, I think, in the late 50s or something, or early 60s. And just normal routine, the guy's walking around at night, patrolling the, the perimeter of the building, then goes inside. So one night he's out there, and he sees this half-man, half-wolf, werewolf, eating a chicken, and runs inside. And he doesn't speak a word of this, until he's on his deathbed to his son and his son swears up and down. My dad would not tell me the story if it wasn't true. And he had the details. Now, obviously people were doubting it, but after some research, Linda uh, went and found other people who around the same time who saw the same exact creature. And so it wasn't someone playing a prank back then. You know, it was people who really saw something. And that and and that's another 
you know, campfire tale. It's like, are there, are there werewolves out there? Normally you and I would just say not a chance, but why are all these people seeing it? Uh, we're checking all boxes today. I love it. I love it. What, what year did this happen? I believe it was the early 60s. I don't, let me check. That's a crazy story. So a half man, half wolf was eating a chicken. I'm assuming it wasn't like a, a bucket of chicken from KFC or something. It was probably, it was probably like a live chicken. And he never yeah. said anything? Until his dying, uh, until he was on his deathbed, huh? On his deathbed, yeah. I believe his name was uh, Shackler, I think. Let me get some information about this. But it's such a great story, you know. I mean, I know the the St. Coletta Institution, that's what it was. And, um, you know, other people around that area, this is in Wisconsin, right? The, uh, other people in that area saw the same thing. And several years later, too. And so that was the basis of a book called Real Wolfmen, True Encounters in Modern America by Linda Godfrey. Excellent book. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've been wanting to do something on this story. And other people have covered that story, but not in the way I want to. You know, it seems like today we, I don't know why, but the mystery, that mystical nature and that magic has been extracted from almost all paranormal programming. And honestly, it, it resides in in the podcasts and just straight storytelling because that's what people have this is the modern campfire right now you know someone is listening to this right now or later right uh and it's late at night and they're alone and this is what they have to keep them warm so to speak is us telling these stories and so uh it's the same thing it's the same thing and it's and it has more of a purity and more of a poetry to it than a lot of modern paranormal programming, which has become uh, completely void of all mystical, magical, and you know storytelling purity. It seems to be gone. It's all just too quick, and um, and just a bunch of people running around a house, maybe or a building, and you know acting as if they're scared. And I think you know that that needs to change. We need to bring the poetry back into that type of television. Well, why do you think uh, these campfire stories typically have some sort of uh, like dark edge to them? There's there's always a a bit of a macabre to these campfire campfire stories. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, because if you told a story about Al, the apple farmer, loading up his truck, going home and uh, <laughs> making porridge, I, I don't I, maybe everyone would just go to sleep. <laughs> yes i just realized what a dumb question my question was <laughs> no not not dumb uh it, there's some hook right there has to be some hook i mean we we've tried to identify this with maura murray um you know in in fact and uh, we in that case you know i, I think it's the idea that she kind of van vanished into nothingness right she was there one minute and she's gone you know so i think i think there are some true crime cases like that that work on that, but it's the same level, you know, I think it's the same, the same hook uh, gets people interested in these stories. Right. We have a, we have this and, you know, this inherent fascination with that. And it's this sense of just like a horror film or something. It's like, you know, we have this cathartic experience. We're hearing it together. There's this sense of danger, but there's also the feeling that you're going to be okay at the end of the story. And we love it. Just like we love roller coasters or we love horror movies or we love reading a good book with uh, suspense. It's the suspense of the story. It's entertainment. 
and the idea that it could be true gives it even more power. So telling those stories around a, a campfire is perfect because, you know, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. You're looking forward to that moment at the end of the night where you're, you're sitting around the warm glow of the campfire and you have a, somebody who knows how to tell a good story. And, um, you know, everybody's there together and your back is to the darkness. Your face is to the campfire. And the voice of the storyteller is entering your mind and the fire has magic to it and the words have magic to it. And it's creating this fantastic movie in your head. And that's the oldest form of entertainment. Do you think that it's uh, sort of poetic that you are going to New York? You mentioned the uh, coronavirus that is now, uh, you know, become present in New York and you also reference the stand, which is, uh, I mean, most people know that the stand is a um, a post-apocalyptic story about a a, a strain of uh, or a strand is it strain strain of influenza uh, that was also it was accidentally released, I think, and then it was uh, became uh, geared towards uh, biological warfare, and it kills off. I think in the story, it kills off like ninety nine percent of the world's population. But this book is. I don't know how many, I forgot how many pages it is, but it's it's like over 800 pages long. It's a big one, yeah. And it's such a great uh, story. It's it, like the story is one of one of the richest stories I've ever read. And and you're talking about going to New York, like you're, you're almost putting yourself at the beginning of this story, and I feel like it's poetic because what you are doing is trying to... Uh, bring the stories back and and it's all it's all kind of it's all kind of uh it's all a, it's all a wheel you know it's all coming around again i feel i i agree yeah well here we are in this wonderful new decade uh and forging its identity as we go in its first year and you know this i think we're doing fantastic work so far and obviously somebody has to push for it and people are you've seen it happen in cinema um, it's beginning to happen again in music. You know, good music is going to come back very soon. Uh, you know, like that's our job as as artists. You know, we're we're doing that. You, you're storytellers, and 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 that's what we give to the world, and that inspires the world. And we have to reflect on the dark side of the world. You know, um, we've always had plague and and problems in the world. You know, since the dawn of time, since the dawn of man. Uh, and, uh, so we, our job is to reflect on that. And I can't help but to think of a, of a version of Stephen King's The Stand when I walk into New York City. I'd much rather be on, you know, the side of Stu Redman, you know, on, on right. the good side, because that's how I feel in my heart. Uh, but I certainly don't want the world to fall apart because of the coronavirus. I really hope everybody's just safe and we can, we can put it to bed soon and, you know, deal with the next problem. But uh, I, uh, I'm taking every precaution going into the city. I definitely take it seriously. At first, I was like, you know, it's an election year. Um, you know, media is sometimes or often spinning dirty tricks, and uh, they want us to be afraid for, you know, for a lot of different reasons, for control purposes, whatever, to sell advertising. And... Uh, I wasn't taking it that seriously at first, but I'm beginning to. 
but I don't want it to, I don't want the fear to stop me from doing anything important, like getting this show off the ground. I feel like this new show is going to inspire a lot of people and bring that magic back a little. I feel like, uh, I, you know, I'm, I, they will go nameless, but I'm looking at some trailers for some of the new shows, you know, going in many seasons of some of these paranormal shows and the hosts look bored of the, their own show. <laughs> They're like, Am I doing this again? It's like, yeah, you're doing this again until someone puts their foot down and says, Hey, you know what? I have this incredible platform. It's a responsibility. You know, you are affecting many thousands, if not millions of people. What do you want to do with that power? I want to inspire people. That's what I want to do. I want to put the extra effort in to inspire people. You want to choose to do the same stuff over and over again? Fantastic. I'm not doing it. So that's one. Yeah, I think uh, we had talked about this. I can't remember if it was on, if we recorded it, but the reason why people are watching these things is because they're simply on. If you give somebody some something else that is uh, better quality story-wise, that can inspire them, that can make them think a little bit more than what they would have thought had you know watching another one of these shows where the hosts are bored, you know there there's a start right there. I think I, I think it's just a matter of hey, there's something else out there. We're trying to give you something else uh, that's not boring, that's not the same formula because as comfortable as it is, you need to break out of your formula from time to time in order to even like experience life in order to be able to have, you know, a thoughtful conversation. Of course. And all of the people that inspired us over the years, and you can name them, you know, whether it be in music, movies, literature, even in, in, in life, uh, sports and politics, whatever, all put this, this better effort forward for us, you know, and so I'm definitely not here to give it a half-assed try. Like I am here to go all the way with it all the time. And that requires me just like you guys, like, you know, to stay up all night sometimes, put a lot of time in, put your money in, sacrifice a vacation, you know, for many years. Like I do it every day because I really want to give my best into this thing. And um, so this new show is exactly what I feel it should be right now and uh so i'm, I'm gonna push for it hopefully but when you make these things it's a collaboration eventually so you need to you need to do it with the right people they need to be on board and have the same love for it that you do those 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 ships need to be aligned you know those stars need to be aligned yeah absolutely Wow, Chris. Well, this has been another thought-provoking discussion. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure where else to take it at this point. So uh, I think it's probably uh, probably best we call it an episode. Um, we've come full circle here in our discussion. And uh, I wish you the best in, uh, in New York City in your trip and obviously staying safe uh, with the coronavirus. That goes for everybody out there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not, uh, not panic time uh, for sure, but um, definitely time to be safe and careful. And Chris, just know, like, if you're if you're standing in New York and the rats start running out of the buildings onto the street, like, maybe that's a good indicator that you need to, um, uh, like, take cover. Yes, I agree. Hey, did you ever see the movie Chud? Yeah. <laughs> Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. I love it. <laughs> just when we just when we thought that we were uh, <laughs> now it's full circle. Now it's full circle. I'll just leave. With that, everybody go home and watch Chud tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Chud. All right, thanks a lot for listening. How did you know? How did you know that off the top of your head, Tim? I love that movie. (laughs) 